0: Thank you very much. That refrain in that song gets to me just about every time. And then I carry it for the week. Thank you for singing it. Thank you for the fact that I will carry it. I just have to get a breath before I start now. The manger is empty. The cross is empty tomb is empty, but the throne is full. All of the things that we know scripturally, that we read about when we, that we talk about at Christmas, empty, empty, empty. The culmination of Christmas is not Easter. The culmination of Christmas is the reunification of the Father and the Son. That's why, as I promised you last week, we can hang a wreath on the cross. Because Jesus triumphed over the cross and over sin via the cross into the presence of the Father inaugurated once again to sit on the throne. I love the picture in Revelation. As it describes this, John is just out of his mind, confused. He's seeing things lamb as if it was slain, and the son, the royal king of David, and the co-region, one who will sit on the throne with God. And if you look carefully at John's picture, there's only one throne and the occupancy just seems to flow in and out. They are one, and humans can't describe it. The throne is full this morning. During this holiday season, we've been talking about a little good news, and today I want to talk to you about the right time. You can do the wrong thing at the right time and somehow come off feeling a little bit right, you can do the right thing at the wrong time and turn up also being wrong. If you end up in the right timing, it seems to change a lot of things. People talk about timing lots of things, timing the market. They're so apparently it's very dangerous. I'm not even courageous enough to understand what it is, let alone try it. They talk about timing your your request, your ask. Make sure that you set everything up. And everything's right when you go into your boss's office or when you ask someone to purchase this or do that or give this. You always try to get the timing right. Right time. What I want to say this morning, what I want to talk about this morning is that Jesus came at the right time. It was a long time of waiting for Adam and Abraham, the prophets, the prophets, but the wait was not because it was wrong. The wait was because the right time hadn't come yet. and Jesus came at the right time. Also in our discussions of things that are creating a little good news, we've been trying to tell you a story that's a good news story in the midst of all the stuff. I started to put some other adjectives on that, but just go stuff. That's going on around us. So I want to tell you a story about Jay. Um, An author whose name you may never forget. I have a hard time remembering authors' names, but this one I don't think I'll ever forget. Rosario Champagne Butterfield. Don't you love that? Doctor, Ph.D., Dr. Rosario Champagne Butterfield. She's written a few books. The book that I read recently is probably the only one of hers I will ever read. Other books are on topics I'm not interested in. Interested in? You get paid to speak. You get more money if you enunciate each syllable. She wrote a book recently called The Story of an Unlikely Convert. If you look up Rosario, Champagne, Butterfield, the book will come up. It's truly the book that tells her conversion story. It's only five chapters. They're fairly long chapters. Don't think it's 100 pages. But it is, in fact, her walking us through what happened to her. What better kind of book than a book that is a testimony? She speaks of life after her conversion. and she, Unlike most conversion stories, you get a whole bunch of, I was a bad person and a tiny bit of, then I fell in love with Jesus, and then it's over. This one spends half of the book talking about what life was like, what life has become since her conversion. I love that about the book. And in the last chapter of the book, she talks about Jay. You see, Rosario and her husband were unable to have children. It's a very biblical sort of thing to have happen to you, I guess. And so they adopted children. They became foster parents. They tried to do everything they could to be a blessing and help to children in the world. And so as they committed themselves to this new life and they began to take children into their homes... They have four children, three are still at home at the time of this story was written in 2013. And they were foster children, so, foster parents, so they would continue to take children into their home as uh, opportunity had, uh, came to them. It was about Thanksgiving time. Phone rang. It's kind of a desperate sounding social worker on the other, other end. She said, I, I have a family of children, four siblings. Two of them are autistic, two of them are mute, one of them is retarded, and it's not my word, that's hers, and she went down the whole list of all these children's problems and not any of these children would have classified for uh, sort of the, the regular kid. She said, can you take them? We need some place for them to go. They've, they've come out of a horrible situation she looked around her house and her three kids and said i just don't have room for that many more kids and she said i'm really really sorry but there's no way we can fit them in our home and the day went on and she felt a little plagued by what she what she'd said and all of that she had heard already in this tiny description of these poor children she knew how hard it was to place children with special needs she knew how hard it was to place older children and both were represented in this family. And so she and her husband talked. She and her children talked and prayed. One of the things they did in their homeschool that day was to sit down and discuss with God what should happen, if there's anything that their family should be doing to help in this situation. They decided, amongst themselves, that if the social worker came called back they would at least take one. That they could, they could find place for one in their house. End of the day came. 4.30. She knows the welfare offices and the social workers, and she knows that they're about to close. Phone rings. It's the same social worker, much more desperate now, and she said, could you just take one? That's what they'd agreed to. That's what the family had prayed about. She said yes. She said his name, and his name in the book is Jay, just Jay, so that his identity isn't exposed to the world. She said, Jay is mute, Jay is mentally retarded, but Jay needs somebody. Jay's seven or eight years old. Eight years old. No one wants him. What a life. What a world. To be ate. And unwanted. She says, okay, we'll take him. She and the kids prayed. They piled into their minivan. What her husband calls the garbage can. Because... Kids and dogs and things. And they headed down to the social work office. They arrived after hours. social worker was staying so that they could meet Jay. She said they got Jay, pulled him into the car, sat him down next to her son, Knox, who was seven. Got them all buckled in, passed out snacks, hence the garbage can, started down the road. And Jay sat in the back, snacking away. And Knox began to read to him, or began to show him pictures in a book. And pretty soon, there were some giggles coming from Jay. Her heart was lifted. They got home, started to assess the situation, came to realize that Jay had uh, no coat. All his clothes seemed to have broken buttons, broken zippers, things that weren't functional. And so her mom went out to the store, bought some things. Word got to a neighbor that there was a need, so the neighbor brought a whole bag of things. she realized very quickly that the poor kid was terrified of their dogs and their cat. So they called another neighbor who came and took the dogs and the cat. Found out in a little little while later that he was terrified of the bath and that the backyard was frightening. He'd never been in one before. They got through that first day. Knox had told her when they, when they were discussing how they were going to communicate, her seven-year-old, she said, how are we going to communicate with him? He doesn't know how to talk. Her seven-year-old said, she, her, her description, gave me a look and said, kids talk with their eyes, Mom. We'll be fine. She said, I very quickly realized... Out of those beautiful, dark, black eyes of his, he communicated so much. He finally got to sleep. He got all cleaned up, and it seemed that the whole concept of being clean was a big deal to him. Bathtubs or not, he liked being clean. Got him into bed, he got to sleep. Next morning, he joined their family in their regular homeschool routine. Sat down at the beginning of the day. They talked, they read, they prayed. They started doing writing. The kids were all to start writing. He starts writing. Quickly she realizes he knows all of his alphabet. He spells his name. He writes his name out for her. She finds out on all of his social work paper, his name has been spelled wrong. Pretty soon she finds out this boy's brain is just fine. She calls her husband and said, If Jay's retarded, so am I. (laughs) And the days started to move. As they finished their schoolwork, they went out of the backyard. The other kids, kind of acting as guides, took him through the backyard and introduced him to their big dirt pile that used to have been the garden that the kids took over with their trucks and shovels. He played in the dirt with the other kids. He went around and investigated the Tonka trucks, discovered the basketball hoop. And as they began to explore and understand the world around him, he began to smile a lot more. Second day, Homeschool. Finished reading time begins, and Rosario isn't available to read. So Knox grabs a book, sits down next to Jay, and starts reading the book. And Jay says, You read? It wasn't that Jay couldn't read or couldn't speak. It was that no one had ever listened. He never had the opportunity or the motivation until now. She got a call at the end of the week saying... We want to reunite him with at least one of his siblings. He's very close to his next youngest brother and who he really needs to be with, and so we're going to need to take him away. It had been a week of glorious discovery. By the end of the week, they were able to bring the dogs and the cat back. By the end of that day, he was hauling around their little eight-pound lap dog, saying over and over again, you're beautiful. You know, once you turn on a kid's voice, there's no shutting it off. She asked him, do you want to see your brother? She said his face lit up, his eyes lit up. He began to whoop, he began to holler, and it was clear he wanted to see his brother. She sat down to write a letter she had 30 minutes before the social worker came. She wrote the letter to the next family. She told them she was praying for them. She told them about what they discovered about this boy who was neither mute nor retarded. She packed together his portfolio of things from that week so that they could tell. She told him how to spell his actual name. She told them that she had prayed for a Christian family, not knowing as she was telling whether they were or they weren't. She put some scripture in her note about blessing the less fortunate and caring for children. That evening, as the kids were wrapped up and put in bed, and she and her husband were finishing the day and kind of working through things, the phone rang. It was Jay's new mom. You see, they weren't just looking to foster these children, they were looking to adopt them. And they wanted to keep Jay and his brother together. And she said, your prayers today were answered. We are a Christian homeschool family. And we're looking forward to having Jay as part of ours. Why do I tell you this story? Because for all the tears it creates in us, It's good news. It's the walk of faith in a broken world that is only accentuated more because of the desperate need of one small child. In a world as messy as ours, good things still happen every single day. I bet if we spent the rest of the time just going from person to person to person asking what happened to you this week that was good, we could spend hours hearing stories because there are plenty of stories Let's not feed with the buzzards. Let's cruise around with the hummingbirds looking for flowers. Because the flowers are out there. We don't have to always find death. Today I want to talk to you in the expansion of this story About timing. For a little boy, at a moment in his life when he was desperately in need, the time was right. The time was right for him to find what it was like to be loved. The time was right for him to trust someone with his voice. The time was right for someone to see that he was very skilled and very intelligent it was all about timing rosario's a phd professor long long term experienced teacher and this day this boy was in her home. And she, because of all of that experience, immediately recognized the intelligence behind those smiling eyes. And she who had two children who had been through foster care themselves, one was away during this, the beginning of the story. She had a place where people knew what he was feeling and would sit next to him, share things with Just love Him. That is how good news happens. And in the timing of God, you will be used to be a good news agent if your eyes are open, your hands are open, your heart is open. I want to talk to you about Jesus' timing today. Timing may not be everything, but it is certainly something It is certainly something you've ever been the person who've run out of time at that moment you know timing is important. The big project has to be turned into your boss. you're really not done with it, but you're out of time. You're trying to get some place that's forty miles away on twenty miles of time, and at eighty miles an hour you still run out of time your blood pressures up you're beginning to perspire people are waiting for you you've run out of time have you ever been out of time not having run out of time but out of time some of you are gifted musically i'm not and i'm often out of time i will Very often listen to the person next to me to see if I can figure out what the timing of the song is supposed to be that I'm singing. Don't ever have me start a song. I can follow along usually, but don't let me start because I'm gonna be all over the place. I might be out of time and out of note. You ever been out of time? Ever been out of step? That 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 idea that you 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 wanna be walking along with everybody else, but you're just out of step, you're out of time. You're just they're not quite fitting it, it's not working for you. Being out of time makes you feel uncomfortable. Running out of time makes you feel stressed. You ever had a timeout? All you grown-ups, do you ever get a timeout? Do you ever take a timeout? You see, most grown-ups, we give timeouts. In order to get a timeout, we have to take a timeout. Because no one actually gives us a timeout. Most grown-ups would be happy for a timeout. Most adults would say, yeah, you want to give me a timeout? I'll take a timeout. Sure, an hour? Would that be good? I'll sit, on the, I'll sit on the naughty step for an hour, no question. Ever let your brain have a timeout? See, time is not everything, but time is important. Time is definitely something. It passes and it's like air. We don't see it, but there it goes. We sometimes only know it goes because we run into a clock sometime in the middle of the day. Ever seen time fly? Ever seen time drag? We talk a lot about time. Jesus came on time. Jesus came on time. Jesus always comes on time. Jesus always comes on time. Jesus always comes at the right time. I don't think Jay ends up in the Butterfield home at that time by accident. Jesus knows their address. He knows their circumstance. He knows their skill set. And he knows this little boy's need. And everything comes together at the right time. Jesus came to the planet at the right time. Jesus comes to you at the right time. If this is just Jesus arriving in Bethlehem, you missed the point. If this is Jesus arriving at your house, you got the point. If this is Jesus arriving in your own life, you get the point. If this is Jesus stepping in when you are about to crash, then you understand. If this is Jesus lifting you up when you can't lift yourself, then you get it. Jesus came at the right time. In your situation. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul is trying to explain this to the Galatians. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. We talk about this at Christmas a lot. We use this text at Christmas a lot. in the, full, in the fullness of time had come. It was like there was a bottle that was not quite full. And they were adding a little, adding a little, adding a little. Centuries go by, millenniums go by. They're adding a little, adding a little, adding a little, adding a little, adding a little. Adding a little. And finally... That time time tank filled up to the brim. And when the fullness of time had come, Jesus showed up. In the meantime, while we were waiting time, from Genesis chapter 3 time all the way to Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 1 time, the fullness of time had come. The prophets had spoken about this time. They described it 108 times. Times about this moment and Jesus in fact shows up in the fulfillment of all 108 of those things the prophets had laid down even Daniel's timeline in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born of a woman there's a sentence there's a sentence for a library of theology books fullness of time, when the time was right, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. He didn't just show up as the Godhead. He didn't just appear in the room like so many other times. Behold, everybody screams and runs. Don't, relax, it's just me. Born of a woman, slipping into time quietly. As unobtrusive as a child. As potentially revolutionary as a child. As full of potential as a child. As power packed as the clock starts ticking as a child. He slipped in to the place quietly in a little backwater town, doesn't even have a bed, lays in a manger, which, by the way, remember, is empty. Family has to sneak him off to another country lest he get killed. Prophets have to speak to him, to them, for him. Angels have to come and interrupt. Born of a woman, entering time. Which, of course, means that prior to this, he was outside of time. And now he stepped into time. Paul speaking to the Galatians says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. In Matthew chapter 1, the time is described a little differently. It's the right time for Mary and Joseph. Has anything ever come at the right time when you didn't expect it or didn't think it was the right time? Something showed up and you didn't find out until later that it was the right time? Someone showed up and you didn't find out until later it was the right time? There was no way for the family of the Butterfields to know what their impact on this little boy's life would be. But it was the right time, the right people, the right place, the right address, the right influence, the right direction of the Spirit. The right voice of God. Boom. And a revolution happens in this boy's life in a week. A week. Mary is engaged. She's not yet married. Joseph and Mary are looking forward to their wedding. But before the wedding... And more significantly before the wedding night. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God falls on her. And she becomes pregnant with a being who is fully human and fully man. And can I stop you right here and just throw a piece in here about this? if there is no adoption, there is no Messiah. Because this kid was born needing to be adopted by a father. Joseph's son is an adopted child. Every piece Of his humanity seems to have come from his mother's side. And his divinity, well, that's from his father in heaven. This is a crazy story. This is a wild story. Who would believe our report? Unless it changed us, unless it did something to you. Who would believe it's a crazy really crazy story but it was the right timing if she had been with her husband everyone could say that's just joseph's kid but she hadn't and the prophet had said a virgin will be with child and she will have a child and you will call his name emmanuel which means god with us And the Holy Spirit, the the angel Gabriel had spoken that the Spirit would fall on her and she would become pregnant. And the child that she would carry would be called the Son of God. (sighs) I don't know why you're not just sitting there as blown away as I feel right now because this is a wild, blow-your-mind kind of a story. We've heard it so many times that we act like this happens. It doesn't happen. It's happened once in the history of mankind. Praise the Lord. Fullest of time, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman. And oh, by the way, this had to be a woman who could provide a complete family but had not yet been with a man. And so in the right time in their relationship, in this moment, that seemed like the absolute wrong time. God swept in. Sometimes God steps into your life and you're saying anytime but this God. Sometimes conviction starts to shout your name and you're shouting back shh. doing something here. That's when I wish sometimes the Holy Spirit could just give me a right. Would have saved me a lot of trouble over my lifetime. Pick up a few bruises and cause fewer of them. You know, timing is only recognizable retrospectively. You can't say the timing of something is perfect until after the timing has taken place. Anything—a pass is thrown down the field, the receiver's running in the direction of the ball, the ball's falling, the receiver's running. The arc of the ball and the track of the receiver meet at just the right point at just the right time. My senior year in college, we were playing a rival team. We beat them. Just put that out there for now. A team made up of uh, PE teachers and PE majors. It was a big deal. We wanted to beat them badly. I go out, on a simple down and out route. I run, I'm running the left side. I make the cut. The guy has seen me turn and make this catch three times already in this game. So when I make the cut, he bites hard. He charges in on that cut to try to get to the ball before it gets to me. And as he turns in, I turn upfield and I take off. In the time it takes for him to recover, I'm probably five, years, five yards in front of him. And here comes the ball. And it's perfect. Mark has laid it out there for me to run to it. And he knows how fast I can run. And I'm just, I'm watching it fall into my hands. I got a little too carried away. And I got my body too far out over my legs. About this far from the ball. I fell flat on my face. You see, if you had seen that plan play out, you would say, touchdown. That guy's not catching that guy till he crosses the end zone. Nope. Wasn't touchdown. It's fall down. A second later, Falling down or not, I catch the ball. Missed it by that much. Timing. Timing is only possible to see, to, to understand, to recognize the, the perfect timing. is only really clear when you're looking back at it retrospectively. We have spent the last 2,000 years investigating the timing of this birth on this planet, of this life, lived in our midst for the craziest of reasons to rescue us from our own foolishness. Jesus came at the right time. Jesus initiated the contact. This may seem like both obvious and irrelevant, but it is the most relevant point in the story. Go back to Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve sin. Jesus initiates the contact. When you look at Paul on the other end of the story in Galatians chapter four, post-cross, post-resurrection, annunciation of Christ, Jesus is back on his throne. And even in that setting, it is only here that we see and understand that God sent forth His. He initiated the contact. And just like the right time, if you don't understand that this is the most important fact in your spiritual life, you don't understand the facts. If you don't understand that the initiation of the contact that He gives, that He makes, that He takes is done in spite of us, not because of us, we don't get the story. You can see it in the first day. Adam and Eve have just sinned. They're hiding from God. And there he goes. Shows up again. Offering the same relationship they had the day before. Personal, direct contact with God. In spite of their sin. In spite of yours. In spite of mine. Jesus always initiates. This crazy idea of God in a human flesh born in a manger in a little town and hauled around all over the country desperately, desperately in need of care. All initiated by God. Every act of forgiveness that's fallen on your brokenness was initiated by God. The faith that you bring to accept that was initiated by God. The love that you feel as it wraps you is initiated by God. There's nothing in your walk that wasn't initiated by God. Every response is just that. Every element of our part is a response to something initiated by the King of the universe. By the creator of all things. By the one in the manger, the one on the cross, the one who exited the tomb, and the one who sits on the throne. It was all initiated by him. That, my friends, is some darn good news. So, in all of these things, I leave you just one question. I know everybody's waiting for this from the preacher. The last question. The last thing, the last slide, the last piece, the last moment. Because he came when he needed to be there. Did you accept that? Were you ready for that? He came initiating the relationship. Were you open to that? Were you dealing with that? You see, the last question in the story is if Jesus came for you, did you say yes? He came to get you. came to rescue you. He came to extend his love for you. He came to redeem you. Did you say yes? If he's initiated something today in your life that may be making you uncomfortable, he's not messing with you. He's trying to help. If he's initiated a different kind of contact in your life this week than you had before, something that's convicting, something that's moving, something that's giving you a little bit of wiggles in your chair right now, the question simply is the same. Are you going to say yes? We already know the timing's right. Right? Because he doesn't miss. We already know the motivations are right. Because everything he's doing is motivated by his great love for you and his desire for the best in your life. So if we already know it's the right time and that he has only the right motives, we have only one question left. Are we going to say yes? So I'm asking you today to say yes to him again. I'm asking you to to say yes about the thing that's bugging you right now. I'm asking you to say yes about the thing that's convicting you right now. I'm asking you to say yes about the call that you feel in your life right now. I'm asking you to say yes about the thing that looks inconvenient or out of time right now. Because the story with only Jesus coming and out without anybody responding is an empty story. It's a great tale, but it's just just an empty myth. If the empty manger, the empty cross, and the empty tomb are the end of the story, and there's no full throne, and that throne is not also in your heart, then what story is there? Let's pray. Father in heaven, in our brokenness, we always think your timing is wrong. At least often. In the messiness of our soul, we have said no before. We have questioned your motives before. Today, again, we need to say yes. day again we choose to trust you to trust your timing to trust your motives to trust you we choose Jesus Timing of God is an amazing thing to think of. The important thing to remember, I think, with that is that it's not our time. It's not my timing. So I trust that you will wait on the Lord today, that you will wait for him with patient endurance, that you will wait for his timing, knowing that the timing of God is always both in the future and right now. So we want to encourage you to share just the beautiful message of Jesus with others that you meet as we leave this place.